For 25 years, we have been Indiana's business news leader. This is IBJ Media's Inside Indiana Business with Gary Dick. Presented by Elevate Ventures and Indiana University. Indiana's first win cashing in on sports dollars, the 1987 Pan Am Games, a game plan that helped land a Super Bowl, NCAA Final Fours, and has the NBA All-Star Game and U.S. Olympic swim trials on deck for 2024. And it's not just those big events, youth sports also driving big bucks into the Hoosier economy. How sports tourism is keeping Indiana on top of its game. Plus, the racing capital of the world powering forward with a massive makeover to one of its iconic buildings. More on stories behind the spectacle. Hello and welcome to Inside Indiana Business. I'm Gary Dick. Sports in Indiana equals big business for communities large and small. It is part of the Indianapolis brand, really carefully crafted over more than four decades, spreading around the state now. The Indiana Sports Corporation says that since 1979, sports and related events have brought in more than $4 billion into the Indiana economy. The Sports Corporation, founded in 1979 as the first sports commission in the nation, today there are now more than 300 across the country. And joining me now with more on the impact of sports, how it's spreading statewide as well, is Patrick Talty. Patrick is the president of the Indiana Sports Corporation. Patrick, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. You know, I think it, it, it certainly can be said that Indianapolis uh, was the pioneer in using sports as a tool for economic development, uh, quality of life, uh, driving investment in communities. Uh, and, and that continues today as we look, first of all, here in central Indiana. Big events continue to come. It's morphed into not just amateur sports, amateur sports capital, but with a Super Bowl, uh, obviously the NBA All-Star Game and some of the other big events. Describe the state of sports, if you will, here in central Indiana. Uh, well, it's strong. I mean, we have such a strong lineup coming uh, over the next uh, several years. I mean, you think about in 2024, the NBA All-Star Weekend will kick off um, and start that. And then we'll have uh, the U.S. Olympic swimming trials inside Lucas Oil Stadium, where we're going to build two and a half swimming pools um, to choose the Olympic team to represent the United States and, and Paris. Uh, and then we also have uh, Final Four and men's Final Four in 26. We have the women's Final Four in 28 and the men's Final Four again in 29. I mean, I think any city would be uh, ecstatic to have that kind of lineup of major events. That's not to mention all the basketball, um, mm -hmm. NCAA first and second round and regionals and, and other events that we have, um, as well as, uh, you know, where you've got some other new events coming yeah. like uh, indoor track and field to the state fairgrounds. So, I mean, there's lots happening. It's it's strong. Hey, talk, if you would, uh, briefly, Patrick, about the competitive nature uh, today. You know, it used to be Indianapolis and a few others. Now it's so competitive going after these uh, events. It is. It's extremely competitive. And we have to compete really hard on all of these bids that go out for these rights holders because now there are 20, 30 cities that want to get, want these events. So every time you go out to bid, there are multiple cities, multiple areas, multiple areas across the country that can compete. And so it's a lot harder than it used to be. And so we have to work really, really hard. Uh, uh, and, and not just hosting a good event doesn't get you anymore. Right. The Indiana legislature funded uh, this past session a, uh, a bid fund to help in that regard. Talk, talk about that and uh, what that allows 
Indiana, Indianapolis and Indiana to do? Yeah, that's been a huge tool. I am so grateful that the legislature uh, saw the benefit of this, uh, funded this, and it's really for the whole state, but it'll allow us to go after events that we were losing out on and that we could not compete with because we didn't have the financial wherewithal to go after these. Um, we have a great host state. We have Hoosier hospitality and we have and we have people who are experienced in hosting events, but we needed money to be able to go and compete with the other states such as Texas, Columbus, yeah. Nashville, and others who have bid funds. Big, uh, yeah, and bringing big dollars to the table. Team Indiana has been around for several years now. 24 communities around the state. Big focus on driving uh, events and, uh, you know, thanks to their communities. It used to be a strictly central Indiana thing. Now it's very much statewide. It absolutely is. It, all corners of the state now compete uh, for sporting events. And the good thing about Team Indiana is that they've come together and they're working as a unit rather than competing against each other. So really what their goal is, is to keep the events in Indiana, whatever the best community is to host those and not compete. As you look uh, going forward, Patrick, what uh, are some of the key things you feel uh, Indianapolis, but also more broadly, Indiana really need to do to, to remain competitive and to really step up their game when going after some of these uh, big events? Well, you know, I think the important thing is, is you have to continue to invest. You have to continue to invest in facilities. And our communities have done that across the state. I mean, you look at um, Evansville and Fort Wayne and Grant Park um, and up in South Bend, they're all investing in new sports facilities, which is going to be, is just a huge, when you have those new facilities, these, these areas, with hotels and other amenities where people want to come and visit, that's going to be huge for those events. And then in central Indiana, people just, we just keep investing in our facilities, Game, the renovation of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. There's been a renovations of Lucas Oil Stadium and, and then the new hotel, the Insignia right. Hotel that was announced. All of those things will help us stay competitive because we have to keep our package at the very top level. And now that we have the bid fund, That'll be able to push yep. us over the edge. Patrick Talty, the president of the Indiana Sports Corporation. Patrick, great perspective. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Well, batter up in the pocket city. Evansville cashing in big time this week with girls travel softball. But it's part of a bigger sports picture in southwest Indiana. Our Mary Rachel Redmond has that story coming up next. Hi, Gary. Congratulations on 25 years. I've enjoyed being on your show and love your show. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. All rights reserved. Well, the impact of sports, in particular youth sports, is not limited to central Indiana. Great example could be found this week in Evansville, where the USSSA Great Lakes Softball Championships generated an estimated $2 million for the region's economy. Rachel Redmond is standing by now at Grand Park in Westfield. That's ground zero for youth sports in Indiana with more. Mary Rachel. 
Well, Gary, there's been a lot of action already this summer on these fields here at Grand Park, but it really shouldn't come as any surprise. The impact of youth sports on the Indiana economy continues to grow in all four corners of the state, especially in Evansville. This week, the tri-state area hosting the USSSA softball championships. 180 teams from around the country bringing in 7,500 visitors and an estimated economic impact of nearly $2 million. So we have three full counties of fields playing these 200 teams. They're coming in and, you know, staying at, um, you know, our hotels, eating at our restaurants is the biggest benefactor of all this, which is obviously key. 2.4 million is kind of the big number that we keep talking about. I feel it's low in conjunction with what's absolutely happening in this entire town. Investing in sports has been a winning formula for Evansville. In 2010, the city formed a regional sports commission to attract not only youth sports tournaments, but also high-profile collegiate events. You know, the Ohio Valley Conference men's and women's basketball tournament. It's the NCAA Division II Elite Eight. Uh, we have the 2025 NCAA Division II National Swimming and Diving uh, Championships because of our new Deacon's Aquatic Center. So, you know, it's it's on, on the sports tourism piece, it's really about exposing the community in way in broader ways. So we know there's going to be media exposure almost in every kind of OVC event or NCAA event. Visibility, another big bonus. Evansville Regional Sports Commission events have been televised in more than 23 million homes in over 190 countries. The NCAA Division II National uh, Basketball Championship uh, game, you know, live on CBS on a Saturday afternoon leading up to the Division I. You know, that, that's big exposure for our city. So I think our community has really rallied around these events, one, because they understand the importance of supporting these events, either by volunteering, uh, maybe their business is a corporate sponsor, uh, maybe they just buy a block of tickets and go to a ball game or a series of games or a series of meets, whatever the event may be. Uh, so people understand now we've been doing that. We're, we've gotten kind of good at it. And We've developed this niche while Indianapolis has this great D1 niche. We've developed a really successful niche for D2 and in some cases D3 at the NCAA level. We've gotten really good at rolling out the red carpet, gotten really good at uh, showing hospitality to student athletes, to their supporters, uh, their parents, their families. Um, it's, it's just, it's a great, great experience. Since its inception in 2010, the Evansville Regional Sports Commission has generated an estimated economic impact of over $30 million, and that number will continue to grow. Well, coming up next, how the dynamics of college basketball are changing the game. I think where we got it wrong, Gary, is that we never came out. There were there were no, there were no true guardrails mm -hmm. to begin with. IU women's head basketball coach Terry Moran on name, image, likeness, equal pay, and the buzz around our Indiana Hoosiers team. Here's what's making news around Indiana, brought to you by the Indiana Association of Realtors, Indiana's 21,000 realtors, the neighbors you know, the experts you can count on. 
Welcome back to Inside Indiana Business with Gary Dick. I'm here in Westfield at Graham Park. A lot of young people roaming these fields this summer, but in two weeks, the big boys hit the turf. Grand Park, home to the Indianapolis Colts training camp. And speaking of the Colts, two-time Super Bowl champion Peyton Manning. <laughs> Peyton Manning coming back to town in August along with Magic Johnson and others for Indianapolis-based Elevate Ventures inaugural Rally Innovation Conference next month. Number 18 is the keynote speaker of the event, which aims to engage companies, universities, entrepreneurs, and investors from around the globe. Walmart going high-tech in Jackson County. The company planning to invest millions of dollars to transform its Seymour Distribution Center into a high-tech facility. To Southwest Indiana, where online insurance company EverQuote is trimming its workforce, the company laying off nearly 100 people in Evansville. Indiana's ability to lure South Korean companies like Samsung to set up shop here paying off. The state will open an office in Seoul to help drum up more business. Small towns in Indiana, like Seymour, they have a way of building character, churning out talent, be it Mellencamp's mastery of music or Terry Moran's leadership on the basketball court. It all traces back to those who's your roots. That's all we knew. And, and, uh, and you know, if you grow up in southern Indiana, you are an Indiana fan. Everything that we did was, was surrounded, uh, you know, around Indiana basketball. And I had the hoop. I had, you name it. You know, we had the carpet, uh, you know, cream and crimson carpet. I had everything, but I never dreamed that um, one day I would be sitting here as the Indiana uh, head women's basketball coach. A dream come true for Terry Morin, Southern Indiana girl who lived and breathed IU basketball growing up, now leading the Hoosier women's program into elite status. The Indiana Hoosiers are Big Ten champions. Morin coaching her Hoosiers to their first Big Ten title in 40 years in 2023, ruling the roost at number one in women's college basketball for much of the season, and Morin herself earning the AP's National Coach of the Year Award. One huge challenge for Morin and her fellow college coaches, name image likeness, NIL, and how it's shifting the playing field for college athletics in a big way. I think where we got it wrong, Gary, is that we never came out. There were there were no, there were no true guardrails mm -hmm. to begin with. And I think it's so much easier to start small and then expand. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's the mistake I think was made. You know, we're all, be, all of us coaches, you know, right now are trying to figure out how to navigate this new world that we're living in with uh, essentially paying paying our, our, our players, there has to be a cap. There just has to be, um, because there's, there's, uh, it's not, it's an, un, uh, you know, unlevel playing field if it, there's not. And that's not what the intent of college, college athletics was ever supposed to be about. Navigating the complicated nuances of NIL, a challenge. Yes. Drumming up support for IU women's basketball. Well, Terry Morin has scored big time with that. There is a buzz, and uh, it's special, and our players love it. They uh, they get so much energy uh, from the staff, that, uh, from the, the, the crowd that shows up. It's also a great recruiting tool. Mm. You know, these these young players, as you know, they're they're coming up. They they want to play in front of fans. They they want to play in front of fans that have energy and bring excitement. All my friends in small town. 
when you grow up in Southern Indiana, but particularly Bloomington with the tradition that it's always had with basketball. Uh, you know that we, we have, you know, fans here. They eat, sleep, drink basketball. Great way to end our Around Indiana segment. Terry Morin, one of more than 125 Indiana headline makers that uh, we've interviewed on the Business and Beyond podcast. You can check it out at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. Well, new experience coming to the racing capital of the world. More on big plans to transform the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum into a global destination. And student loan borrowers bracing for a return to those monthly payments. In this week's IBJ, the timeline and details on the end of the pandemic pause for student loans. And who will be named to IBJ Media's list of the 250 most influential business leaders in Indiana? Find out July 20th. And when you subscribe to the IBJ by July 17, you'll receive a copy of the Indiana 250 magazine. More at ibj.com slash subscribe. Well, certainly one of the big contributors to the business of sports in Indiana is motorsports. And at the racing capital of the world this week, big plans unveiled for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. With details now on those plans to transform this Hoosier hub of history into a global destination. Pleased to be joined now by IMS Museum President Joe Hale. Joe, thanks for joining me. It is my pleasure. Uh, okay, let's talk about this. This is a big transformation. You unveiled the public phase of what is an $89 million capital campaign to really transform the, the museum. Uh, talk about uh, the campaign and, and why you're doing it. Well, it's long overdue. I think a lot of people would agree with that because there really haven't been any uh, renovations to the museum uh, in about four decades. So we knew we had to do something and, and we've got a wonderful team together. And so for the last two years, we've been planning. We've been once a quarter, we take a, a trip to the Derby Museum or the Air Force Museum or the Henry Ford Museum to find out what 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 museums are offering these days, what the expectation of our guests are going to be, especially a couple of years from now. So we put together a great team, a lot of hometown uh, names that you're familiar with, uh, you know, Shield Sexton, Schmidt and Associates, um, a lot of folks to help us kind of realize this plan. We've been in a silent phase of the campaign. We've talked to about 20, 25 different potential donors, and we've been very fortunate to raise $46 million from those few donors. Now, we've gone public this week, and it is an $80 million campaign, which Gary is a lot of money. But just to break that down for you, it's $64 million to completely renovate the museum building right now. Now, we're not going outside of the footprint, but in the past, the basement has been off limits, unless you paid a little extra money to go to the basement collection. We're going to integrate that and combine the basement with the first floor. So it's really doubling our exhibition space. Um, it, so 64 million is going to be renovating the museum from top to bottom. Another 15 kind of phase two, it'll be a restoration shop where we can continue to restore our cars and also store them. And then we're also going to put $10 million into an endowment. Mm -hmm. And that 
will allow us to do bigger and better ex exhibitions. And I think people expect that today. Yeah. Hey, Joe, you're going to, I know, close the museum for about 18 months, going to open in 2025 in time for the, the, the race. As we wrap up, only have about 30 seconds or so now. But uh, there's so much history there. Uh, I know there's a feeling that this, it's already a destination, but truly can become a global destination with this new IMS museum. Yeah, and it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be educational. It's going to be immersive. A lot of interesting technology, interactive technology. Yeah, 80% of our visitors come from outside of the state of Indiana. It's truly a world-class destination. Joe Hale is the president of the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. Big news this week with uh, the transformation uh, on the way of the museum. Joe, thanks so much. Can't wait to see the finished product. I can't wait to welcome you there. <laughs> All right. Well, we are in the heart of festival season in Indiana. Communities, large and small, in all 92 counties host more than 1,000 festivals, fairs, and events every year. Gatherings that have a significant economic and social impact. One of the state's largest festivals is wrapping up this weekend in Fort Wayne. More than 250,000 people in Northeast Indiana this week for the 54th edition of the Three Rivers Festival. It's an event created to celebrate downtown and the rivers, a core mission that has not changed since 1969. The festival originally in 1969 was created to, to bring people to downtown and support downtown businesses. I mean, as, as the, you know, the city has grown, you know, there's businesses uh, throughout the whole uh, part of the city, but we still uh, have that same core of bringing people into downtown to celebrate, you know, the rivers that we have, or the businesses that we do have, in, not only in Fort Wayne, but in the region. Well, festivals also celebrate things that Hoosiers produce. In Corydon, the state's first capital, that means a salute to popcorn. Inside Indiana Business reporter Kate Sharon uh, took a trip to Harrison County and found out there was a lot popping around an event that brings the community together. Uh, Kate, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I know you had a great time uh, there in Harrison County in Corydon at the Popcorn Festival. Community brings uh, an event that brings the community together. But it's also popcorn. That's a that's a big product down there, right? When you talk Harrison County, you're talking popcorn. Yeah, driving around, it's a lot of popcorn crop. You can definitely tell the difference. Um, it's 10% of the country's export of popcorn is made right there in Harrison County. And it's a lot of family farms that are producing that crop. I, I know you sampled uh, a lot of things there and could uh, kind of feel the enthusiasm around this event. Uh, so it brings the community together, but there's also an element uh, of, of kind of a marketing tool for the community as well. Yeah, visitors bureaus are definitely very involved. It's a it's a community effort. Local businesses, hotels, campgrounds, they are all involved in bringing people to the county, bringing visitors in, people from out of state. The popcorn festival is along the interstate, so you get people from Kentucky. Um, but really, they are trying to get people in the door to see what the county and the towns have to offer to, for maybe people to move there, come back and do like a one-day trip. Yeah. They really just want to maximize getting people in the door and what that can bring to their community in the future. Great perspective, uh, Kate. I know you had a great time down there as well. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thank you. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gary Dick. Go out and make it a successful week. Thank you for listening to the Inside Indiana Business Television podcast. Remember, you can get the latest business news from every corner of the state at InsideIndianaBusiness.com.
I'm Gary Dick. Go out and make it a successful week.